Hey friends, welcome to the Better Bible Reading Podcast with Kevin Morris. It's been about a month since the last time I've had an episode, taking a little bit of a break, uh, a little unorthodox because it was kind of just before summer break officially starts. Uh, but I have been spending time with family, finishing up my semester in school. So I've been very busy. So it seemed like a good time to just take a few weeks off, hit the reset button. So I am back. I'm glad to uh, still have a listening and watching audience on the podcast feed and YouTube. Uh, but we are back here, Better Bible Reading, for another episode. And I wanted to talk on this episode about the idea of different. Bible translations. Um, if you have taken advantage of the free course that I put together um, to help you read the Bible, um, then you'll know that some of the things that we talk about is not only the, the different kind of Bibles that I think that you should have as part of your own personal library, but different translations that you should make use of. Not every translation of the Bible is created equal. And in fact, not any translation of the Bible in the English language can really get down to a one-to-one correspondence between the original Greek, the original Hebrew and Aramaic, versus what we hear in our own language. Uh, That's because not every language is exactly the same. Um, There's kind of a, a dynamic instead of a static relationship between biblical languages. And so that means that when somebody translates the Bible, uh, you have to make certain decisions of how you're going to take something in one language and bring it into another language. So you have to think about figures of speech. You have to think about um, how we would say something in 21st century versus, uh, let's say, the 17th century, like the King James Version. And that that same uh, rationale applies in any language that you're taking the Bible into, but obviously, me being an English speaker, uh, you most likely being English listeners, or at least you understand English, even if you don't live in the United States, uh, we understand how this works. You can pick up one Bible and read a passage, pick up another Bible, and even though the general idea may be the same, the way that it's said, is different. And so you have to decide just how much you want to take the original language of the Bible and hold as close as you can to it while still getting the idea across, or do you want to get the main idea of the original language across, but modify it as much as possible into whatever language you're trying to take it to? Those are some of the issues that uh, Bible translators wrestle with when they're bringing the Bible into our language, and the finished product of that is the ESV, the NIV, the NASB, the KJV, the NKJV, on and on and on, all of these abbreviations that we have for our popular translations in English. Now, that doesn't even get into the whole issue of which manuscript we're talking about. Because it's not only that you have one Greek text and one Hebrew text, the New and Old Testament, that you're trying to get into English. It's that we have different manuscripts. And so, which 
manuscript you're using is also going to dictate what the finished product looks like. Uh, for example, um, the King James Version uses a particular manuscript that is not used, at least exclusively, in other manuscripts. That opens up a whole huge debate in terms of uh, manuscripts. I don't want to dive too deeply into that on this episode, but I wanted to bring up <clears throat> some underlying issues and overarching issues in the whole translation process that makes which Bible we use not necessarily a cut-and-dry passive decision on our part. Uh, it actually means that we have to understand where translators are coming from when they present to us a New King James Version or a New International Version or the message. So in this episode, I wanted to talk about which three Bible translations I use, and I wanted to make a case for each of the three and encourage you that even if you don't pick all three of these, um, I think you should have more than one, and then it's better to have maybe more than two. I think three is really the magic number. This doesn't mean that you should uh, you know, reserve yourself to just three translations, but I think in terms of your ongoing kind of uh, regular reading of the Bible, I think that you should utilize three versions. You could put those in different kinds of Bibles that you use for different times of the day or different events, whether it's uh, going to uh, worship at your church, whether it's uh, personal uh, kind of devotional reading, whether it's more intensive study. Those are kind of different areas that you could fit in different translations, or at least if you're going to just use one, you could reference the other two uh, during those times. Uh, but I think that really is going to go a long way in helping you become a better Bible reader but it also keeps you from getting too overwhelmed with trying to utilize every single translation that's on the market, because that could get so overwhelming that you might not think about reading the Bible as a, a joyful endeavor. It could just be something that's very uh, begrudging and defeating, and I don't want you to have that mindset when it comes to the Bible. So. What I want to do, again, is share with you the three translations that I prefer, the ones that I think really give you a good balance. And then, uh, from there, uh, think about what you use on a daily basis. Ask yourself the question, why? Do I know the mindset behind those translations? Do I understand how they might be different from others? Do I know why they're different from others? Okay? So, uh, what I'm going to do is share... Uh, a couple things on the screen now, if you're listening on the podcast, uh, you're not going to see everything, obviously. In fact, you're not going to see anything because you're listening, but uh, you're not going to miss out on so much that it's not worth listening. Uh, but I might invite you to go to the YouTube channel and watch the video version of this just in so you can see uh, some of the things I'm going to be talking about in this episode. Now, I'll go ahead and put my cards on the table. I'm not going to wait till the end to reveal which three translations. Uh, for me, I say that the ESV, English Standard Version, the KJV, the King James Version, and the NKJV, the New King James Version, are the three translations that I prefer. They're the ones that 
Uh, you'll find in the majority of my personal library in terms of what Bibles I have, what Bibles I use, I do have more translations than that at my disposal. In fact, all of us have any translation at our disposal, and I'll show you how that's the case on this episode as well. But those three, I think, accomplish the most, and they give us enough of a diversity of reading that we can uh, understand where differences occur, and we can decide which Bible might be better for any given situation. So, me putting my cards on the table there, you'll see here, once I get to this uh, image that I wanted to share, how that is going to be, uh, let's say, much different from what you might find in uh, a pretty big majority of, of churches here in our country that, in terms of what Bible they use. So, if you wanted to compare translations of the Bible, you could put them on a spectrum. Uh, you, you do a Google search for uh, Bible translation comparison, or just type in uh, Bible translation spectrum. Um, it'll give you a, kind of a line graph, and it'll show you uh, where each of these translations tend to land uh, from one extreme to the other. The problem with this is that this graph is kind of subjective. Um, now, if you go to the trouble, and it shouldn't be any trouble, if you go to the trouble of reading the preface of any Bible that you have, the translator's preface, almost every Bible should have this in the very front, they are giving you a rationale uh, for what manuscripts they used, they're telling you some of the theological decisions that they made. Uh, they're talking about the difference in pronouns. Now, that's not a uh, 21st century transgenderism thing here. That is how certain Greek words especially are translated, uh, whether as brothers or brothers and sisters or those kind of things. So uh, just how certain words can have a male and female correspondence in English. So you'll find some conversation about those kind of things. And they will most likely tell you if they're trying to be this or that. Now, the this or that is where they might land on that Bible translation spectrum. So it goes from, now I hate to use these words because they carry political baggage, and I don't mean political baggage here. I just mean how people go about the translation process. But the spectrum uh, goes from very conservative all the way to very liberal. Now, I don't mean uh, politically or theologically here. I mean in terms of how conservative they want to be with the Greek and Hebrew uh, when bringing it into English versus how liberal they want to be in that translation process of getting it to a modern-day uh, vernacular, the, the common language of, of the day. Okay, So on the very conservative side, you would start with word for word. And then you start moving, and, and the technical phrase for that would be form equivalence. So the equivalence, they're trying to match that that one-to-one -one ratio between the original language and English language as much as possible. Now, the way that I like to compare this is with uh, different uh, different kinds of, of paint. 
So if you go to your home improvement store and you just went uh, trying to, you know, get your little uh, putty knife and you got a little paint sample from your wall because you're trying to repaint it and you take that little piece of, of paint from your wall, uh, just a little piece that you've cut off of there, you take it to the person that mixes the paint and you say, can you match this? Um, and they're going to tell you no. <laughs> Some of them might tell you, uh, probably, or I'll do my best. But it's really impossible to match that paint, especially if it was custom mixed, to a direct equivalent. Uh, because there's different brands of paint. There's different chemicals in those brands. And they can get and try to get as close as they can to matching it. Um, it might even be 99.9%, let's say. But it's not going to be exactly the same. It's kind of like that with translating uh, the Bible. Because you have uh, different varieties uh, from one language to another. You have different words, you have different uh, sentence structures, you have different figures of speech, on and on. But the form equivalence way over here in the ultra-conservative word-for-word thought process of translation is trying to match that form, they're trying to match that paint sample as close as they possibly can from the original language to the English language. Um, And then when you start moving a little bit closer to the middle. Uh, You go from word for word to meaning for meaning. Uh, Notice the change of language there, word for word to meaning for meaning. Uh, This goes from form equivalence on the far end to what we would call closest natural equivalence. Um, There's not many Bibles that really take this approach. Um, because most of the time, if you're moving from word for word over here on the far end, you're not going to just shift a little bit to what's called meaning for meaning. And in fact, probably the best uh, example of this Bible, even though there's there's more, uh, probably the best example would be what's called God's Word translation. It's not not very popular, uh, but it is around, and it would fall into this meaning for meaning. It's not quite word for word. Uh, but it is a closest natural equivalence. All right, so that's uh, extreme conservative, uh, moderately conservative, and then there's not really anything that's dead in the middle. So it actually shifts uh, past that middle point to now what we would call thought for thought. Now this is a liberal approach. You're taking some liberality in your translation process, but it's not exactly uh, to the point of the foreign, which is called paraphrase. All right, so let's uh, take our our spectrum here, and I'll um, put this image on the screen as well for you to see. Start with word for word, and then on the other end, highly conservative word for word, highly liberal approach is paraphrase. And then the two that you move in on the conservative side is meaning for meaning. On the on the uh, liberal side is thought for thought. Now again, I want to stress I'm not talking about what conservative versus liberal theologians use. 
I'm not talking about what conservative versus liberal uh, politics would fall into. What I'm talking about is the translation approach, whether it's a conservative approach or a liberal approach, bringing it from one language to another. All right. So that's enough about that that spectrum in terms of categories. Now let's talk about which Bibles fall into that. I'm going to start from the uh, liberal side and work our way back. So we're going from paraphrase and working our way towards a word for word. So in the paraphrase category, uh, you have uh, probably the most well-known of these is the message, uh, the message Bible. The Message Bible is called, uh, in this sense, a paraphrase Bible or a retelling Bible. Now, what you'll see in a paraphrase Bible like the Message is when you read it in one of these more uh, word-for-word translations and then compare it to a translation like the Message, you'll understand that the general idea is the same, but the way that it's said is modified heavily. Uh, there might be some rearranging of sentences uh, to summarize it in a better way. Um, there might be more explana- uh, exclamation points given that you don't see in the Greek or Hebrew because the translator is trying to help you understand the uh, kind of the weight or the emotion behind something that, that might get lost in the translation process. And they're really trying to bring what the Bible's saying into layman's terms. That's the big idea in a Bible like the message. Some other examples would be uh, the Good News Translation or the NIRV, which is the New International Reader's Version. Now, one thing that could be uh, kind of levied against people in this paraphrase uh, approach that I think is unfair is that you might assume that these people are just trying to, uh, you know, render down what the Bible says uh, to something that's not even the Bible anymore. Or it might be they don't take the Greek or Hebrew seriously enough. And I think that's actually not true. Um, I think that what they're trying to do is make the Bible as accessible as possible. And we have to remember that when a translation takes place, even as far back as, let's say, the King James Version, um, that was a layman's term Bible. That Bible was written in the kind of modern language of the people at the time, and it was meant to be accessible and readable. Now, the problem is uh, people during that time, if they could read, um, well, they were just better with language than, than we are. We are so kind of rendered down in the way that we speak today um, that it could seem like we're too simplistic in our language. Uh, examples would be if you can't even read something like Shakespeare or you know other other works of literature that were contemporary to the King James Version in the 1600s. Uh, the thing is, uh, we have just taken, it's because language modifies over time, uh, a lot of those figures of speech, a lot of those words even, we've just given new definitions to them or we don't even use them at all anymore. And so it's hard for us to relate to that, but we have to remember uh, that that was a, a contemporary Bible very much. Now, it doesn't say that the translation approach is the same, but we, we shouldn't scoff at Bibles like 
the message in others. We can not prefer them. We can even not like them, but we shouldn't assume that it just doesn't take translation seriously whatsoever. I don't like the translation personally, but um, one thing should be known is that the people who are doing the translating <coughs> in Bibles like these, these paraphrased Bibles, they do know Greek and Hebrew, and they're trying to take what's in the Greek and the Hebrew and give it to people in the modern day in a way that's very accessible. Now, again, the approach is taking a lot of freedom. It's taking a lot of liberality in what you do to the original language and structure of the Bible in order to get it in the finished product in a translation. So you can agree or disagree with that, uh, but that is the mindset behind it. All right, so that's the uh, furthest end of the spectrum. Now, moving a little more conservative, the thought for thought is uh, Bibles like the NIV. I don't know if it still is today, but when this Bible originally came out, uh, it was the most popular Bible on the English market, and it still is very popular. Uh, Publishers such as Zondervan, I mean, they have a huge amount of uh, products and, and publishing and everything that they do. Um, that's kind of the uh, publisher behind the NIV. And you can see that of how widespread they are among different denominations in the country. Um, and they're you know, represented in that NIV translation. Another one that has kind of gotten popular, I would say in the last decade, maybe a decade and a half, uh, is a Bible that in some ways is kind of surpassing and replacing the NIV, and that is the NLT, the New Living Translation. Um, this Bible is, I think, a little more on towards, a little closer to the message than it is to the NIV, but it's maybe a good in the middle uh, between the NIV. If you like the NIV, um, and maybe you wish that it was a little more readable than it already is, you might want to go with the NLT. Uh, the NLT is still, uh, though similar to the message and similar to the NIV, it doesn't go quite as far as, as the message. I don't think really any Bible does. Uh, but the NIV and the NLT are probably the two most popular in that thought for thought. And then the third one that you probably have heard before, in that same category is the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. Now, all of these uh, acronyms can start to get confusing. The Christian Standard Bible, the New International Version, and the New Living Translation are those thought for thought. Now, again, it's thought for thought, not word for word. Um, so there is a equivalence of function, what the sentence structure, what the words are doing, what they're trying to do. Uh, but it's the thought there, not the words themselves, that are painstakingly translated. And so that means that there are some levels of freedom that are taken in that translation process, just like there is in the paraphrase approach, though it's dialed back a little bit. All right. Uh, we've already talked about meaning for meaning, which is that uh, shift from kind of more liberal to more conservative in your approach. Uh, and the God's Word translation is probably the only. Uh, example that would even fit into that. And then you get into 
uh, over here where I land, over here where I think all translations should really strive to be at, in the word-for-word form equivalence. Now again, this is not a wooden literal translation from this to that, because as we said already with the paint sample analogy, it's impossible to do this entirely. And that's why we have to learn Greek and Hebrew. Not everybody can do that, but hopefully your pastor does. Hopefully, if you're interested in ministry, you want to take the time to learn Greek and Hebrew because that decision process shouldn't live and die with the translators. It should be the responsibility of anyone who wants to teach the Bible in a a profession of, let's say, uh, being a pastor, being some kind of minister in the church, or especially being a professor. In fact, if you even want to be a professor anywhere that's reputable, uh, well, you have to be uh, somewhat of a very proficient person in the original languages. And that's because taking it from that to our own modern tongue is something that uh, implies decisions being made. And those decisions should not only be made with the translators. They should be made with the readers. Okay? But in this word-for-word, all the way on the furthest end of the conservative spectrum of translation, you have the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, the ESV, the NET, which is the New English Translation, probably the least well-known among this category, and then you have the King James Version and the New King James Version. So you'll find, as I said, the three that I Uh, recommend the ESV, the King James Version, and the New King James Version, all three of those are in that word-for-word category. All three of them are doing this form equivalence approach, not closest natural equivalence, not functional equivalence, not retelling, but a form equivalence trying to match the form of the original language into the English language in a word-for-word approach. All three of those Bibles are trying to do that. Now, what's fascinating is that all three of those Bibles have different manuscripts that they're using. So the same uh, theological commitment, the same uh, rationale and philosophy behind interpreting the Bible and translating it uh, is not um, found in a word-for-word equality in all three of these translations. You will find differences in all three of these translations, and that's because they're using different manuscripts. They're relying on different manuscripts of the original languages. We do not have the original copies of the Bible. We don't have the original Gospel of Luke or the original Book of Genesis. We have copies of that and copies, and copies, and copies. And those different copies are part of what we call different manuscripts. And which manuscripts you rely on are going to dictate which translation you can find, and which translation you use. Because that's really the biggest endeavor when it comes to translating the Bible, is which manuscript or set of manuscripts you're going to use. So, um, that's really where the difference lies. Now, for me, this doesn't mean that I never 
refer to a new international version, or I never refer to the NLT, or I never even look at the message just to see how it's said there. Uh, but what it does mean is in my study, in my everyday reading, in my sermon preparation, those are the three that I'm relying on. In my, you've seen all the all the Bible reviews that that I've done on the YouTube channel here lately. Um, all of those have been uh, an ESV, a King James, or a New King James, at least so far. I'll maybe talk about some some other ones in the future, but um, I really find a lot of help in all three of those translations, and those are the ones that I recommend. If you're looking for one more translation uh, to add to your own library, or if you want to replace one of yours that doesn't fall into that word-for-word category, uh, I'd recommend any of these three. Uh, If I have to pick one, I'm going to pick the ESV, but any of these three can be excellent choices for you. Now, I said I wanted to show you um, what we could do to automatically have every single translation at our disposal. And so if you are watching on the YouTube channel, then you'll see here, I'll bring up uh, the screen share here so that we can find what is going to work and what's going to be a good uh, free software to use. Now, this is something that's great because you don't have to download it at all. Uh, This is something you can do by going to biblehub.com. B-I-B-L-E-H-U-B dot com. This is similar to what you would find in Logos Bible software or some other uh, programs that you do have to buy. I'm sure there's a whole lot of other uh, websites that are similar to this as well, but I find this one to be the easiest to use when I'm doing sermon prep, when I'm wanting to quickly compare translations, and when I'm wanting to do even word studies in Hebrew and Greek. This is the website that I recommend, and I think uh, though it doesn't look the most modern and sleek compared to some others, um, it is, in my opinion, uh, the best overall website, and it's free. Again, you can't go wrong with free. All right, so go to BibleHub.com. Let's say um, you wanted to read a Bible in any language. Now, this is not going to be a full crash course on on this website. I might do that in a different video. If you say, just let me know in the comments or email me or whatever, and let me know you'd like to see something like this, I'd be glad to. But for our purposes, I wanted to show you how you can compare translations. So there's a lot of options here at the top. Um, you can. There's a whole lot of different features on here. But for our interest, let's just type in a verse to compare. Let's do Romans 828. You type in Romans 828, and the first thing that comes up, which I really appreciate, is all of these different translations. I mean, it just goes all the way down the list. You got the NIV, the NLT, ESV, Korean Study Bible, Korean Literal Bible, King James, New King James, New American Standard, and it even shows, like, for the New American Standard, you have the most recent version. You also have the version from 95, from 77. Uh, I mean, on and on we could go. You just have so many options here. And this is a great way. And then again, after all this long list, you can click on even more translations. This is a great way to automatically pull up any verse that you're trying to think through 
or maybe a verse that you're stuck on in your Bible study, and you want to find out, well, how is it worded in other translations? Now, you could go, you know, kind of the long way and just have all of these in hard copies. It would certainly be fine. And you could just grab them off of your shelf one by one and take a look at them. Or if you didn't have a website like this, but you just typed in, uh, you know, Romans 8.28, King James Version, and you pull that up. Then do another web search, Romans 8.28, NIV. You could keep doing that, but this is a great, very accessible, very simple list of all of these translations for that verse. And the cool thing is, on any of these as well, you can click on chapter to see the entire chapter. And you can uh, compare this chapter with the ESV. You can read the ESV for the entire chapter. So there's, there's so many different dynamics here. Of, of what you can do to compare different translations. But I find in my own study that this is the quickest way to just grab a hold of a translation and find out how it differs from others. Uh, you can do more intensive study from there, uh, but a great starting point to just kind of see where these translations uh, are the same and where they're not the same is to do something like this. So I highly recommend checking out biblehub.com because you have every translation at your disposal. And then you can decide from there, if there's one you want to add to your personal library, um, you can already get a feel for how it compares to others on any given verse that you could think of. And so check that out for sure. I think it's going to be a great uh, blessing to you. If you don't use BibleHub, but you use something else, uh, let me know what you like. I'd be interested to hear how something like this compares to others. And as I already mentioned, if you want me to do a full episode one day of this website and show you all the different things you can do on it, I'd be totally glad to. I don't know anybody with, with Bible Hub, uh, but I'd be glad to try to give a kind of crash course on it. So the mindset for me is sticking to that word-for-word approach because we already know that we can't get exactly how it is in the Greek and Hebrew. That means that we should be trying to understand, even if it's a little bit of a time, some Greek and Hebrew to really help our own understanding of God's Word. But at the very least, since we know that we can't get exactly the same, we want to try to get as close as we can to those original languages. And I think that's what those word-for-word translations are doing, something like the ESV or the King James or the New King James. So uh, on another episode, maybe I'll talk about uh, the finer points of translations and manuscripts. Uh, I'd be glad to talk about that. But for this episode, I just wanted to stick to uh, the idea behind different translations and why you would want to have more than one. Hopefully you understand that there's so much happening in that process uh, that you need to at least have more than one so that you understand why it's said this way and not that way. And if you think that's a plus or minus for that particular translation. Uh, But as always on this podcast, the name of the game is not to bog you down with information, uh, but it's to educate you. It's to give you enough information 
that you're motivated to get into your Bible. So whether you have a word-for-word, a thought-for-thought, even a paraphrased Bible, get into it. And then don't set yourself short by sticking to just that one. Expand your horizons a little bit and investigate some other translations, and you'll start to see uh, the beauty and the complexity of God's Word in a way that you have not uh, prior to this point. Well, that wraps things up for this episode with uh, yours truly, Kevin Morris, on the Better Bible Reading Podcast. I'm going to have some more Bible reviews uh, coming out in the near future, and uh, we're going to get back in our next episode, back into our study of Peter Van Maastricht's Theoretical Practical Theology on Teaching Thursdays. Uh, And as I mentioned, we do talk about some of this kind of thing on our free course over at betterbiblereading.com. You can enroll for free. You can start for free. You can get into it. So head on over to betterbiblereading.com forward slash free class, and you can get started in a free course that helps you become motivated and disciplined in reading God's Word one day at a time. This is Kevin Morris with the Better Bible Reading Podcast. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Take care.